Good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Good to see you guys today. So glad that you're here with us in the house of the Lord. Man, that's already been an incredible service. Haven't you already experienced and felt the presence of God? Yeah, go ahead. Trust me, the Holy Spirit will do a lot more for you than I can, but I'm going to do my best to be the conduit that God wants me to be and share the word with you today. Is that all right? Uh, before I do that, let me just kind of introduce the topic we're talking about with a story. You've probably have heard this. This was one that uh, always kind of makes me laugh a little bit, but uh, it sort of came up in my mind this week. There's a Japanese wrestler named Antonio Inoki that probably none of you have ever heard of who passed away, who was like the, one of the biggest celebrities ever in Japan. And uh, he was famous for in the 70s having a boxer versus wrestler match with Muhammad Ali. I've heard of Muhammad Ali, right? So I'm just in my news feed and all the weird stuff I follow, I've been seeing a lot of that. So Muhammad Ali kind of came to mind and I started thinking of this story of Muhammad Ali. Most people know that he's considered by most people who know boxing to be the greatest heavyweight boxer ever to live. And not only was he that, but he knew that. If you ever listen, he was very arrogant, maybe some would say, but he knew how to promote a fight. He knew how to talk people into, into buying the fight and watching the fight because he really felt that he was the greatest. He believed it. He knew it. You didn't have to wonder if he had any questions, right? He knew. He said, I'm the greatest. I'm the best. There's no one who can touch me. Well, one funny story about that was at the beginning of his career, he tried to avoid flying in planes because he was afraid. But once he had sort of created this persona of Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time, he, he couldn't be afraid anymore. He was the greatest of all time. Does this make sense? And so he was on a plane, and he had then, he had then sort of morphed into this mindset that there was no one that could touch him. And he's sitting on the plane, and the stewardess is coming. They're getting ready to take off. And they say, all right, sir, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali looks at the stewardess in his way, the only way he can. He says, Superman don't need a, need, need a seatbelt. The stewardess didn't bat one eye. She said, yeah, and Superman also don't need a plane. <laughs> and at that moment, Muhammad Ali found out that he better put his seatbelt on. I tell you that story because it sort of shows an example of something that we all deal with because the Bible talks about it so much. If the Bible didn't mention it so much, maybe it wouldn't be as big an issue. And I know when I say it, I already know this is PB coming and I wish I, could, I was, you know, the Lord would let me preach on an exciting miracle that we could get excited about and hyped about and I could get into preacher voice about. But, you know, the Lord doesn't let PB do that. He says, PB, you're going to have to deal with something that's going to be difficult, and the people probably ain't even going to like you at the end of it, but that's okay. We're going to deal with pride today. <laughs> you know, Muhammad Ali had gotten it to the point where he was so caught up in himself that he thought there was no one that could touch him. And the truth of the matter is, whether we want to admit it or not, all of us at some point or another, we get into our minds that way, don't we? We get into the mindset, even as humans, even as people who come to church, surely you're like, no, I come to church. No, surely even the people who come to church kind of get stuck on this idea that life is about us. I want to say even Brother Trent and exalting us or exhorting us in worship just a little bit ago was talking about that just a moment. Sometimes we get so stuck on what's going on in our own world that we forget that we're not here just to live in our own little world. We're here to be a part of a greater kingdom. So bear with me. Give me a few moments. I'm going to do the best I can to, to be a good steward of your time. But I want you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Obadiah. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go through it quickly, but I will apologize. I have a good bit of reading because I feel like we need to see the text. Okay, is that all right? I promise I'll try to get you through it fairly quickly, but, uh, but we're going to go through this. Now, I will go ahead and tell you when I said, all right, we're going to look at this book. I, I, you can breathe easily. This happens to be the smallest book in the Old Testament, okay? We did, I'm, I'm not going to exegete Psalm 119 all the way through today. You can breathe. We're going to go get Obadiah. It's, it's about 21 verses, and I'm not even going to read all of those. I'm going to sort of look at a couple of parts. But this is the smallest of the Old Testaments, the smallest of the minor prophets, which I think is, is very ironic, and it's the beautiful way that God does it, that it's dealing with pride, yet it happens to be one of the smallest books in the Bible. It also happens to be from one of the most 
and, and I use this word loosely, insignificant of the prophets. When I say insignificant, I'm not telling you it's not significant. I'm obviously about to preach it. But Obadiah is a very common name in Hebrew. Do you realize that? You can look through the Bible, and there's several places and people that are named Obadiah, so much that a lot of Bible scholars don't even realize and, and know and can really pinpoint exactly who this Obadiah was. I guess in Bible terms, Obadiah was like somebody named Michael or Stephen or something where there's just, you know, tons of those things. When you ask somebody, hey, do you know Michael? Well, which one? You know, there's a ton of them. But Obadiah was the smallest of this minor prophet book, books, but he delivers an important message to us today. So let's look at it. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, the vision of Obadiah. This is what he has seen. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart, everybody say pride, has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. All right, y'all follow me? You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from even there, what does the Lord say? I will bring you down. Boy, that makes you ready to jump and shout for joy right now, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's get into this, all right? Let's break it down. So we're talking to Edom. Edom was a, was a land. It was a group of people there uh, that lived just next to Jerusalem, just next to the Israelites. Uh, if you do, if, if we had Ancestry.com here and we had them to send one of those kits where, you know, get your DNA and they can find out, you know, what percentage Irish and Indian and all that stuff you are. If we did that and for Edom, it would go directly to Esau. Everybody say Esau. And let me give you a little bit of a, a background lesson. I'm not going to go back and read all of this, but this can be some homework for you if you want to look at it. Genesis 25 kind of gives us all of the background knowledge of Esau. Esau was a twin. He and his brother Jacob were born to Isaac and his wife Rebekah. These were the grandchildren of Abraham, the one who the Lord said, I will build a great nation. Everybody with me? But there was a problem. They were twins, but from the moment literally they came out of the womb, one had the other one by the heel. You know what that meant? They were constantly fighting. Do I have any boy parents in here? All right, amen. You know how that is? They were constantly at each other about something. They were constantly arguing and fighting and bickering and doing this and doing that. Jacob and Esau, from the moment they came into this world, we already knew they had some issues. And so Esau, his seed became Edom. Jacob, we know his name was changed to Israel. His seed became the Israelites. Everybody with me so far? A lot of teaching here. I promise if you stay with me, though, we're going to go somewhere. Is that good? All right. I want you to notice another interesting thing. The word Edom, if you go back to Hebrew, and again, not trying to get into the weeds, but notice that Edom actually looks a lot like Adam, right? Edom and Adam. That's because if you go back to the Hebrew, they come from the same root. We know Adam was the name of the first man, so Adam meant humanity. What do you think Edom means? Humanity. So when we're talking about Edom today, do you understand and you can support what PB is saying today that this is a perfect metaphor for us in our lives because we're humanity? Amen? All right. Making sure you're with me to this point, okay? Here was the problem. Edom was prideful. Man, they were arrogant and they were stuck on themselves. Oh, me. There were two reasons why. The first was a generational curse. And this is a point, I, again, I, I wish I could had time to dig more into this, but we'll go ahead and mention it. Though this was a generational curse. I just told you they were the seed of who? Esau. Do you realize Esau was a very prideful person? Esau was actually literally the firstborn. He was the one who came out of the womb first. It was Jacob who had hold of his heel. That was sort of the ironic uh, vision of the way their life was going to go. Yes, they were twins, they were born at the same time, but Esau was technically the oldest, so he had the right to everything the oldest son had in the law. He was the one who would receive the first blessing of the father. He was the one who had the birthright to everything that the father in the previous generation had. Everybody understand that? Here's the problem. Esau didn't protect his birthright because he lived in the moment. 
Go back to again to Genesis 25. I'm just going to paraphrase it here and you can go back and look at it itself. But Esau comes in from the fields. He had been working. He had been tired. And listen, that's something, that especially here in the south, here in Forest, Mississippi, I think there's a lot of us that can appreciate and value a good, hard-working day, right? We're, we're, I would like to say that a lot of us here, we're, we, we like grit. We like blue-collar type of things, rolling up our shirt sleeves and pulling ourselves up by the bootstrap and all those kind of cliches. We look at Esau, and he's a likable guy to me because of that. Man, he's out there working, but here was his problem. He came in very hungry and tired, and, and his flesh needed something in that moment. You ever been there before? You're like, man, I just need something now. I'm not even worried about later. I'm not worried about next week. I'm not worried about anybody else. I just have something that I need to fulfill. I have something that needs to be gratified on the inside of me right now in this moment. And in those moments, we're willing to do anything to gratify that desire, regardless of what the effect may be in our future. That is pride, okay? I think sometimes we only define pride as me thinking I'm better than someone else, and that is definitely a part of the definition. But understand, when we get into a moment where we're only thinking about ourselves and no one else, that is also prideful, okay? And so when he gets into the moment where, like, I need something to eat, I don't care what it costs. I, if, I, if I don't eat something, I'm going to die. He had maybe gotten a little bit melodramatic. Maybe he's a middle schooler. I don't know, but... He got to the point where I need something now, and if I don't get it, life can't go on. And his brother takes advantage of the situation. You'll give anything for something to eat. And so he did. He sells him a bowl of soup for his birthright. Now Jacob has the right to everything that his brother did. And Esau was willing to leverage all the good things that God had for him. He was willing to leverage everything he had for him in his future just to satisfy a short-term desire. Does this make sense to anybody so far? This is who the father of Edom was. So Edom has this generational curse of, of of pride, of arrogance, of feeling that I need to satisfy myself right away already ingrained into its DNA, into its spiritual DNA. Does that make sense? And I'll admit, I'm, I don't want to get too ahead of myself and we'll deal with some of this, but I believe there are people who may be dealing with things today. It's not that you may be caused it, but you're still dealing with the spiritual ramifications of what your previous generations have done. We see it all the time and those things have to be broken. But another reason, Edom wasn't just feeling this way because of Esau. And think about it. We know what happened later. Again, not trying to recreate the wheel here, but, uh, but know what later happened when Esau was tricked out of his blessing by his brother one other time. And in that moment, I've, I've probably talked about this story before and said it from this stage. You know, I oftentimes wonder, man, God, that was a story when I read as a kid didn't always sit well with me. Jacob did wrong. He did wrong by stealing the blessing from Esau. That's the way I... I viewed it, but we know that, that Jacob was the person who would be restored and he would receive the blessing and his name would be changed to Israel. But here was the problem for a long time, a long, long time, Esau was bitter toward his brother because he was wrong. Now, can we be real for a moment? I know we're in church and I know we're all prim and proper. Can we put, put, kind of put our little you know, spiritual facade down a little bit? Let's be real. How many of you ever had somebody do something to you that wasn't right? Okay, okay, a couple of you admit it, yeah. Now, here's the part that's going to be really real, and, and, and I'm going to raise my hand first because I ain't going to ask you to say, I'm going to be real transparent. How many of you have had a hard time getting over what somebody did to you? Yeah. How many, I mean, you got to raise your hand on this one, but I'll be honest, there's people who I know have done wrong, and even today, the, the first fleshly inclination when I look that way is think, wrong! Wrong! And you know what I have to do? The Holy Spirit immediately has to go. I, I surrender and say, okay, God, we're good. <laughs> but think about this. For generation after generation after generation, Edom has looked at the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, and said, they were the ones who wronged us. We should have had all of that blessing. We should have had all of that. And listen, I, I, I'm not trying to meddle, and I have some, a, a lot more to get to, so I can't stay here too long. But understand, I mean, 
Y'all know about, y'all heard of the Hatfields and McCoys, right? You know, it's that kind, same kind of ambition where, okay, somebody stole one's pig and it became like a generational battle that lasted for years and years and years. And I wish I could say we in the church were any different, but some of you, if we were to be honest, still have a hard time passing that church down the road and, and, and suppressing those feelings that the enemy wants to bring. I mean, surely not. I don't feel like this way, but you may, you may have a hard time sitting in this section and looking across to this section. I mean, I'm just being honest. Is this okay? Is this okay? You have a hard time, you know, you, you follow these people on social media, but when you scroll and you see them, you almost want to throw your phone across the room. You got block and follow, you know, all of these types of things. Why? Because we get into our mind that we deserve things, Right? And when we see other people blessed, instead of getting into a point where we're celebrating what the Lord is doing to other people, it becomes very easy for us to become victims or, or get that victimhood starts to rise up and we keep start thinking about what it is that we don't have and how it's not fair. Is this making sense? I really don't want to ramble today. I just want you to understand this concept that Edom had gotten into a place where they were quite bitter because of all the things that happened. But another reason was their location. Edom had settled in a high mountainous place that overlooked the land where Israel is. So quite literally, based on their location, Edom was standing on top of this mountain looking down on everyone else. You ever been there? I think it's easy for us to point out, and, and there's nothing worse. To, I'm being, again, transparent. There is nothing that I detest more in my flesh than when I'm around someone who is making me feel like I'm beneath where they are. And some of you, maybe, maybe if you'll be honest that way. But I also can be real honest and transparent, and there have been moments in my life where the Holy Spirit has really had to wrestle with me and deal with me and convict me because not realizing I had put myself on a pedestal and was looking at others in a certain situation like they were beneath me. Maybe none of you have been there but I've been in moments where you start using certain types of pronouns or certain type of language where you're like, that's just the way those people are, or they are, or they don't know. And you start talking, you're like, well, at least, or, you know, you start discussing issues. You say, well, at least I didn't do that. At least I'm not like that. Look, what have you done when you've done that? You've put yourself in that position. The people of Edom were in a position where literally they were in a, in a high place. They were looking down on the people of Israel in a way that they were above them from a physical place, but that translated into a, a sort of a spiritual place where they, or not necessarily spiritual, but a philosophical place where they felt like they were above. Not only that, but people started talking about how good Edom was. I've told you before, look, one of my love languages is, is words of affirmation. I enjoy when people speak good things, but there can be dangerous if you start living with them and you should start accepting them all the time. Why? Because the more people start saying good stuff about you, the more you start to believe it. Why did Muhammad Ali think he was the greatest? Because everybody started saying, oh, he's the greatest. And he started believing it. The problem was that these, these people in Edom were... In a, nestled in a high place, they were next to water where they had a lot of resources, and in the ground they were able to pour or, or pull iron and bronze. They were able to pull natural resources. And again, not trying to take you to history class, but you understand the importance of that. If you have resources, then other countries want to be your friend. Other people want to come and, and have what you have. They want you to help them. And so they were able to create all these alliances. They were able to, to become then an, a good enemy to the Israelites because any person that had to come through, they had to pass through this mountainous region. And so the people of Israel were able or, or were battling against them and the people of Edom were able to become popular. Does this make sense? If it does, say yeah. Let me give you a couple of, of points and we're going to get back to Scripture. So here's the first thing I need you to understand about pride today. Pride is a deceiver. Pride is a deceiver. Do you understand what it means to deceive? To deceive someone is to make them believe something is true that is not. Right? 
I'm always leery of people who are deceiving. I dealt with some car salesmen this week, so definitely I was doing my study on deception. I didn't want to be deceived. But what pride will do is it'll, it'll make you believe. As we talked about with Esau, he was deceived. He felt that if he didn't get something to eat in that moment, he just couldn't go on anymore. Now, I, I, I don't know. I wasn't there, and I, maybe I haven't done enough biblical scholarship to understand truly how serious his plight was. But I know within myself, I, you know, every day by lunchtime, I, if I feel like if I don't eat lunch, I may die. But is, is that really true? No, I mean, the human body is actually a pretty cool thing. It can last several days without food. It's not necessarily uh, pleasant, but you can do so, right? He had gotten to the point where he had been deceived, where he felt like he needed this gratification now. And guess what will happen, as we talked about, that will happen in your life. The enemy will come to you and he'll deceive you and make you think that if you don't get this, if you don't get that, if you don't have this or have that, if you're not achieving this or that, if you're not sort of keeping up with the Joneses in your life, whether that's financially or whether that's running in these circles, he'll have you deceived and believe that you're just not good enough and you're not doing what you're supposed to. He does that to preachers. Man, if you don't get this type of response or if you don't have that many people who come and listen to you or... You, you just don't have it. Those are deceptions. They're trying to feed into pride. Does that make sense? Ultimately, pride will have you believing and deceiving, and deceived to the point that your problems are more important than anyone else's problems. I need you to understand this. I'm not trying to be harsh because hopefully you all know me. I don't I'm, consider myself a harsh person. And I know that in our lives, obviously, our problems are our problems. So they do, you know, take a lot of priority, but we have to understand our perspective. What the enemy wants you to do is to get so wrapped up in what's wrong in your life that that's all you're consumed by to the point where people can't even come and talk to you without you saying, well, let me tell you about what's wrong with me. Y'all know those people, right? If not, hopefully you're not those people. But you can't have a single conversation without it going to what you're dealing with and, and, and trying to bear that weight on everyone else. We are told to bear each other's burdens, but that means if I'm sharing something that I'm dealing with for you to help me, I need to be willing to do the same for you. Amen? That's a deception factor. Another thing, pride will ultimately deceive you and get you believing that you're more important than everyone else that your ministry is the only ministry that matters. It's the key here. So I don't care what anybody else is doing. This is what we're going to do here, right? My goals and my aspirations and my dreams are more important. So it doesn't, I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice anything. I'm going to go after what I want and everyone else needs to fall into place. Does this make sense? Edom had gotten into this point where we just want to be happy and we don't care about what the Lord wants. We're going to do what we're going to do. And so the prophet Obadiah gets this vision and he has to go and speak toward them and he gives them that promise that we read in those first four, four verses where he says, God is proclaiming and telling you that I'm going to tear you down. It's not a if, it's, it's going to happen. Now I'm going to skip down a little bit. You can read verses 5 through 9 and it kind of gives some specific details on what the Lord's going to do. He kind of tells them, look, you're going to be at, uh, at the... You're going to be at your boundary. You're going to be getting ready to fight. And just like that, people are going to turn on you. You're going to turn on yourself, and you're going to be overtaken. Go with me to verse 10. I want to show you something. In verse 10, it says this, For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Do you understand what pride will do if you allow it to run rampant in your life, if you become so self-absorbed that you fail to look at anything beyond your own uh, sphere of influence, beyond your own little world? Ultimately, it's going to cause you to be shamed. Verse 11, In the day you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were one of them. So now we're finding out exactly what they did. Edom really didn't have a dog in the fight. They were just sitting there, chilling in their mountainous region with all their friends. The Babylonians come into Jerusalem to, to take them captive, a story we hear a lot about in the Old Testament. 
And instead of just sitting back, you know what they did? They started laughing. They started enjoying the pain that other people were going through. He said, you, in verse 12, you should have not gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should have not gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. So what did they do? As all of the Babylonians were coming in and invading, the people in Edom are snickering. They're watching. They're laughing. <laughs> That's what you get, you jerks. That's what you get. Yeah, that should have been ours anyway. Yeah, you're getting, you're getting what's owed to you. Now, I know it may sound a little bit humorous and funny, but can we be honest for just a moment? How many times have we found ourselves with someone who has wronged us or someone who we feel like did something that wasn't right and we see them reaping what they sowed? And remember, God allowed the Babylonians to invade the Israelites because they had sown some pretty bad seed, right? Yet Edom is sitting back and laughing and pointing and finding joy in someone else's pain. And in today's society, today's social media-driven society where everything that someone does bad can be magnified much more beyond anything else, how many times have we found ourselves doing the same thing? I'll use the term kicking other people while they're down. I'll be real honest, there have been ministries that I've seen maybe TV ministries or even people that I've happened to meet in person and know and just, I, I don't say this arrogantly, I think you know my heart, just in my discernment, my spirit of discernment, I would say, man, that just, there's just something not right there. There's something not good there. There's something that isn't the way it's supposed to be there. And there's been several moments where that discernment would hit my heart and eventually there would be something, whether it was scandal or whether it was some sort of thing and allegation or something that came into light and those, those ministries either had to repent or they had to fall or they had to... And I'm going to be real honest in my own heart what the temptation is. I told you. Right? I told you. Oh, I knew. Oh, you're getting what you deserve. And let me tell you something, as much as, you know, the Lord isn't going to allow things to go unpunished, my role in that isn't to kick other people while they're down and try to pile on, because you know what, that's my own, that, that, that can feed my own pride. See, I'm right, I'm PB, I'm the one who knows, I can tell. No. The Lord says you need to handle what I put in front of you. Don't get prideful and start kicking other people while they're down. Amen? That's what Edom had begun to do. Look what he says in verse 15. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they will drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. Let me lead to this next point on pride. As pride is a deceiver, the other thing I need you to understand is that pride brings destruction. Everybody knows Proverbs 16 and 18. You could probably quote it. Pride becomes before destruction and a haughty spirit comes before what? A fall. Pride's always going to bring destruction in its wake. It's going to bring, as we just said, shame and disgrace. The moment I start thinking that I'm something is the moment the Lord's going to find some way to humble me and I'm going to be ashamed and it's not going to be good. Y'all with me? Pride brings a narrow mindset. Do you realize that? This is something that's thrown around, but let's be honest. There's, there, there are people within the body of Christ, within our, our realm, who, whose mindsets are very narrow. They have a, a hard time thinking beyond their own opinion and beyond their own uh, mindset. And this isn't me talking about there's people who call Christians narrow-minded because we believe truth. That's not what I'm talking about. 
But the mindset of this is the way I want to do it and it's the only way it needs to be done, y'all realize that's prideful? Because if I say that, if I come into anything here in all seasons and say this is the way it is and the only way it has to be, then guess what? I'm saying and proving and communicating that I know more than everyone else combined. Amen? That seems practical, man. I get you again jumping and shouting, but y'all realize that narrow pride's going to lead you to a narrow mindset. You're going to have a, a, a bad time sort of looking and maybe exploring different ideas. You're going to have a hard time growing because a prideful mindset wants to keep you where you are because you think you don't need to grow. Pride brings a haughty set of eyes. It brings you to that point, as we talked about, where you stand on that pedestal and you're looking down at everyone else. One of the one of the harshest criticisms the church receives because the church has been guilty in certain sectors of doing that is that the church is always looking down on everyone else. I believe wholeheartedly, I preach that holiness is our standard for living. We are to live separately. We are to live differently. Our life shouldn't look like the world. At the same time, because of that, I don't need to go out into the world and treat everyone else that isn't like me like they're below me. I won't go any further because that could get me in trouble, but you need to be careful on how we're looking at the world. They're lost, but they are looking for love. They're not looking for judgment. We look down on it. I talked about the people that have wronged you, and listen, you, can't, you, you live on this earth long enough, someone's going to do something that, that is bad towards you. They're going to say bad things about you. They're going to take advantage of you. They may treat you like they need you until they get to a certain level and then they sort of drop you like a bad habit. Those things are going to happen. Pride wants you to always think about what they've done for you when the Lord wants you to forgive. Amen? Pride will cause you to look at people who may have been promoted over you or or people who have been blessed in ways that you haven't yet and It'll want to sort of bring up jealousy. But those aren't the ways of God. Listen, pride will also bring strife. Proverbs 13.10, by pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is what? Wisdom. How many of you just love living in drama and conflict? Yeah, nobody's going to raise their hand, but if, you know, (laughs) let's be honest. If you want to live a life that's full of drama and conflict all the time, I'll tell you, it's not that, you know, you've heard me say conflict is inevitable. We're all going to deal with it from time to time. But if, you, if you're in a situation where you just are constantly living and surrounded by this stuff, let me tell you why. There's probably somewhere where pride is taking root. There's somewhere where someone says it's going to be my way or the highway. It's going to be the way I want it, whether or not everyone else goes for it. And you're going to live in pride. You're going to live in strife. Self-exaltation. Pride's going to bring an attitude where you're going to try to promote yourself above everyone else any way that you can. And ultimately, as we've said, it's going to lead to self-destruction. It's going to lead to you finding a place where you fail. That's what happened to Edom. But the good news is there's a promise. Go with me quickly to verse 17. Notice what happens here. But on Mount Zion, there shall be what? There's going to be deliverance. There's going to be holiness. You see, the house of Jacob, the Israelites, they're going to possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph will be a flame. But the house of Esau is going to be stubble. They're going to kindle them and devour them, and no survivor will remain of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau. The lowland will possess Philistia. They will possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the lands of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Separad will possess the cities of the south, and then saviors will come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be whose? The Lord's. It's biblical principle. It's promise. This isn't something where I'm warning you this may happen. If you allow pride to be the ruler of your heart and you spend all of your time, energy, and resources building your kingdom, it will fall. Even if you don't see the 
fall here on this earth, if that's where all of your time is going, you're definitely not going to be spending eternity in heaven. Does this make sense? hope this doesn't sound too harsh. I need you to follow me. If we get to the point where all we're concerned with is who's wronged us, who's done us wrong, what, what's wrong in my life, that we can't get beyond it, then we can't connect to the kingdom that's going to last forever. You see, you do the study. God promised right here that Edom would do what? It would fall. Guess what? Edom fell. That kingdom does not exist today. It was wiped off. They thought they had it made. They were in a good place. They had all the resources. They had all the money. They had all the allies. They had all the relationships. They had the networking, if we want to use a more modern term. They seemed to have everything that you could want. But guess what? It could not sustain. But I'm here to tell you that there is a kingdom that will last forever. Amen? There is a kingdom that's here on earth. We pray, come here on earth, even as it is in heaven. We know that it's at rain here in our world today, and we're a part of it. And here's the beauty of it. No weapon formed against it shall prosper. God said, it's on this rock that I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So for that reason, if I put myself into God's kingdom, if I put my energy and my resources into his kingdom, I'm putting myself in a place that it cannot fall, but it will last for all of eternity. Amen? Understand that the kingdom of God will reign forever and ever and ever more. So how can I make sure that I'm not allowing pride to enter into my life and to cause me to leave his kingdom? Well, let me give you five quick reasons. Five quick reasons, and they're basically just the antithesis of what we've talked about pride doing. Here's the first thing you have to do, and I say it very clearly. If, if pride is a deceiver, what would be the opposite of a deceiver? It would be the spirit of truth. Jesus said that, you know what, I'm going to have to go and prepare a place for you when he got ready to ascend, didn't he? But you know what he said? He said, but I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the Spirit, and the Spirit, one of the things that he characterized the Spirit, is the Spirit that will lead you into all what? Truth. The Spirit will lead you all truth. So the first thing you need to do is don't listen to the deception of, of pride from the enemy. You need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You should have a daily prayer and devotion life where you can hear from the Holy Spirit daily. Listen, I hope Holy Spirit's speaking to you this morning. And I hope that there's something that you gain that grips your heart today that you can think about. That's why we preach. That's the purpose of preaching. But let me help. Let, let me be clear, though. You can't live on my preaching for the whole week if this is all you hear. Some of you may be thinking, I can't live on this today. That's okay. You hold that to you. But I'm here to tell you, you can't just live on somebody giving you a good message once a week, right? You need, to, you need to make sure that you're hearing the Holy Spirit daily because guess what? As much as I would, you know, I, I, I can't even say that. I was about to say as much as I would love to. I probably wouldn't love to. But even if I could, I can't follow you around. You hear pastors say that all the time, right? You can't, we're not following you around everything you do saying, hey, don't do that. But guess what? The Holy Spirit's with you every single day. He's on the inside of each and every one of us, and he is there ready to lead us in the truth to guide us and say, hey, no, 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 don't do that. Oh, yeah, 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 go right here, do this, right? Listen to that voice. Let that become the voice. You need to quit listening to the voice of the enemy around you. Quit listening to the deception that pride is, is trying to bring up in your life. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The second thing we have to do, and this is probably the most difficult one, is we have to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. You understand that's an action that we are responsible for and that we have to take. I think sometimes when we think of humbling, we think about it, and as we've talked about in this scripture, yeah, if it gets out of hand, ultimately God will humble us. Amen? I believe that. But we aren't charged to live pridefully until he humbles us, are we? Throughout the word, it says to humble yourself. That means you have to make an active choice that, hey, if I start getting into my thoughts, if, I keep, if I'm looking at someone else as if they're kind of below me, then I need to make a, an, an honest choice. I need to say, you know what, I'm going to be sure to put that person above me. Here's the 
third thing you need to do. You need to accept teaching and correction. The way that pride continues to feed itself is if you get to the point and saying, I've already heard all this, I don't need to know it. I'm not saying anybody is. I don't know. This isn't anything prophetic. But listen, I've sat in, in, in the chairs a lot myself. Some of you, the moment I mentioned pride, you already checked out. Nope, that's not me. Thank the Lord. Proving that you have some pride. <laughs> Y'all understand? We've, I've been there before too. I, that's why I'm speaking out of experience. You know, I hear something. Oh, I've already heard this. Oh, I know this. Oh, I've probably preached that before. It'll be good. I can kind of zone out and take a little mental break for the next 45 minutes. And you get into that habit and it continues going over and over and over again. Guess what? Pride just begins to beef and build and build. And then all of a sudden you realize there ain't anybody that can tell me anything. Don't come at me trying to show me something. I already know more of that. That's pride. But guess where that pride is defeated and where wisdom is built? It's where we realize there are people out there who actually have some life experience. There's people out there uh, who know things, and there's people out there that the Lord will put in your life to, to teach you, to give you wisdom, but also give them the power to correct you. You need to have somebody in your life that can correct you. Some of y'all are like, well, I'm grown. I don't know. You should, until the day I die, there needs to be somebody who is a spiritual authority and a voice that I've given, I've given the authority and, and permission for them to tell me when they see something that's not right. There's a reason I submit to our pastor. I give him the authority. Yeah, I mean, he's technically my boss because from, from an employee standpoint, but he's my pastor. He's my spiritual authority. There has to come a point where if he sees something that's not right, he knows that I've allowed him to become my pastor. I have humbled myself under his authority. I have let my pride sort of be swallowed. And I say, listen, if you see something that's not right, I'm giving you the, the permission to speak that into my life so I can correct it. Amen? It works the same way in my, my regular job, I guess you want to say, the secular world. There's people who, who are above me, and if I want to go in and, and think that the people who are above me, when they give me a directive, listen, there are plenty of times where I think, man, this is crazy. This ain't going to work. This makes no sense. But at the end of the day, that's pride. If it gets to the point where I refuse to do anything because I feel I know more than my superiors, guess what? The, the whole foundation is going to crumble. Does this make sense? You need to make sure there are people in your life that can give you correction. Here's the fourth thing. Let me hurry. Surround yourself with wise people. I know, again, very practical, but, but make sure you surround yourself with people who you know know things. And not just useless knowledge. Make sure you surround yourself with people who have been where you want to go. Surround yourself with people who know the Word, whose lives have been blessed. Listen, uh, this is something I've heard pastors and, and others say several times. You know, if you get to the point where you're looking around and you're the smartest person in the room and you're the only one that's ever given, 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 you got to find a different room. Get yourself in the room with people who are going to pour into you. Look again, it takes swallowing some pride because, you know, I'll use again another education term very quickly. You know, I, I, I talk to, I have some new teachers that work for me right now and we, one of the things that in talking and trying to, coach and share and get them uh, to where they know they want to be. I tell them one of the mistakes I made when I began is that you think that you know it when you got in the classroom. I was the type of person I said, listen, I want to go in my classroom. I don't want anybody coming in the door. Just leave me alone and let me do what I do because I know I can teach. I know what I can do. Now, listen, I'm in no way, shape, or form, you know, trying to, you know, belittle, you know, my talent or ability. But I learned very quickly, you know, even though I may have been good and had a certain level of knowledge, that level of knowledge was always going to stay there if I kept in my own room. Once I smartened up and finally realized, you know, that, you know, I, was, I started teaching in a private school and I wanted to just be in my room and be left alone. And then finally I realized, you know, that, that lady on the, on the other hall, the other English teacher who taught like 45 years and is doing this because she's retired, you know, she may know a little bit. And so you know what I did? Finally I said, I'm going to go bug her. And I started bugging her every day. She probably got tired of seeing me coming. But you know what I did? I kept bugging her and bugging her and bugging her. And guess what? I grew. I learned more knowledge. Does this make sense? 
Again, y'all, this may not be, again, Jericho March type material, but this is stuff that'll help you with the pride that you may be dealing with in your life. Find people that know more than you do and surround yourself with it. And here's the last thing, the last point. If you want to dispel pride is you need to exalt other people. You know, Booker T. Washington had a quote, and it goes along with what Jesus said too, but Booker T. Washington said, if you want to lift yourself up, lift someone else up. Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, you have to what? You have to lose it. Listen, if you want to see blessings be unlocked in your life, if you want to see this pride go away, if you want to get yourself into a part where you can become a servant, you begin to exalt other people. Instead of always drawing attention to what you may be doing or what you may be going through or what you may be enduring or what you may have even succeeded. And again, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty for celebrating success and achievement, none of those things. But I'm just telling you, if that's all where the focus is, that becomes what your soul begins to thrive on, and that's not good. But if you want to see yourself really thrive in the kingdom of God, it's about building up everyone else around you. Instead of talking about how great things may be for you, why don't you start praising what other people are doing? Is this good? I'm going to give you one final illustration. I'm just a little bit over time. I'm hurrying. The Lord crystallized this message to me yesterday. Uh, I've been having going along this thought, but I, he, he sort of showed me and really helped me see where pride could be in my life. Because a lot of times, again, the, the pride in our lives doesn't let us accept that we may be battling some pride. I'll show you how it looked. Yesterday, I went, I took my son Joseph to Starkville. And we went and watched the baseball scrimmage and then went and watched uh, the football game where Mississippi State completely trounced Texas A&M, Hill State. I didn't bring the cowbell for those of you who don't believe. I didn't want to offend you today. But nonetheless, we're sitting there uh, about the beginning of the third quarter, and, and me and my son have gone to a lot of places together. I, I, got to, I, I bring him a lot of places. He kind of knows the routine at this point. We had then been to the concession stand twice, and he knows the routine. I always ask him, do you need anything? Do you want anything? Because I want some M&Ms and something to drink, and then, you know, I want some barbecue nachos and something. What do you want? Do you want anything? And he said, nope, I'm good. Nope, I'm fine. Nope. Okay. I was thinking, yes, save some money. But anyway, we're sitting there, and there's a, there's a couple that, that are sitting right next to us. And about the third quarter, they have this half-eaten bag of peanuts, dry-roasted peanuts that you just peel from the shell and eat them. And I'm into the game. I'm watching. Joseph's sitting there, and they offer him some peanuts. Hey, son, you want some peanuts? And he was a little bit skittish at first, but they kept on. You know how people are. They want, you know, hey, take some peanuts. So he gets a couple of them. And then about 10 minutes later, they were apparently, I guess, through with the bag. But they're like, here, why don't you take the rest of the bag? Here, have these peanuts. Now, some of you are thinking, what in the world are you talking about, PB? This is like the most... Because normally what I probably should do, my response should be, wow, these are kind people who are just trying to be nice. Thank you so much. You know what I did? <laughs> or I shouldn't say I did, because I smiled and did everything right on the outside. That's what we do, amen? But you know where my mind went? I can't believe these people. They probably think that I could, they probably think I'm the worst dad in the world. They think that I can't even buy my own son some peanuts. They probably think that I'm just neglecting these kids. You know where did my mind go? Straight to me. And I couldn't even enjoy a nice gesture because my mind was completely sold on what it looked like for me. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But some of you may be dealing with something and you say, well, I don't think I'm better than someone, but I want to challenge you. Yeah, it seems to be the word of the morning. To allow Holy Spirit to speak to you. Are there some areas in your life, maybe it's not as cut and dry as you standing on a pedestal and you're looking down at other people and you think that you're sort of lording over them. I, I know most of you, I've never gotten that feeling from any of you, but there may be situations in your life 
where the Lord has even tried to bless you and bring joy into your life and to grow you into his kingdom, yet you're, the, the, the pride and the selfishness mentality of always thinking about yourself, maybe that's blocking you from being who God wants you to be in his kingdom. This morning, I can't manipulate you to do anything, and there's, there's not a specific call. I will ask you to stand, but I want you to listen to Holy Spirit today. You can go ahead and stand. As we close in prayer and we get ready to leave this place today, I do implore you, please open your hearts. Please open your minds. Please allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I believe that as I pray, that even right now, the Holy Spirit will begin to convict. He'll begin to show you. I know that because, as I said, that, that story, it illustrates one of my biggest battles. Those of you who've heard me and gotten to know me over the years, my biggest battle is insecurity. It's one of the greatest things I've ever had to deal with is the feeling of not being worthy and not being enough and nobody... I've created defense mechanisms. I make a lot of jokes. And because I've had to deal with and battle insecurity, I've always thought, well, that's the opposite of pride, isn't it? But you know what? The Lord has taught me that your insecurity is prideful. Because again, you're solely focused on yourself instead of focusing on the power that you have and the work that I want you to do. Will you bow your hearts with me? Father, I thank you this morning. Lord, I know this may not have been the most exciting message. Father, I know it may not have been the most traditional. But Father, I do know what I've heard from you and do know, God, that Lord, there's someone in here that you're speaking to, that you're calling to. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you move over this place, begin to convict hearts, begin to touch minds. Father, show and convict, God. Father, not in a, not in a way that someone is, is bound for hell, but Father, convict us and show us areas in our life where we have allowed the pride of this life, the pride of ourselves, the desires of our own heart to supersede what it is you want to do in our lives and what you want to do through our lives. Father, as you have done for me, I pray that you do for us all, that you'll reveal these things to us, that you'll give us the wisdom we need. Put people in our lives that we can surround ourselves with. Father, give us the wisdom to seek out help when we need it. Father, help us to humble ourselves to the authority you've placed in our lives. Father, help us to heed and hear and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Father, as we do that, I pray that you create and help us to be the humble servants you would have us to be so we can go out into this world and make the difference and be the light you've called us to be. I give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Everybody in the place say amen. God bless you. I'm so glad you came today. I hope you have a great week. Go give the devil fits.